0: you would please turn the scriptures to uh, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, in chapter 3, just to remind you a bit, um, in verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um. He reminds us that it is because Jesus made him his own in verse 12 that Paul presses on in order to make Christ and all of his benefits that he gains from Christ and salvation in Christ and Christ's work uh, as he makes those his own. It is because of Christ's work to make him his own. And chief among these benefits of Christ's work, his, his culminating work of transformation occurs in verse 21 of chapter 3, where it says there that Jesus will use His unstoppable power to complete our salvation. Now, He's already, by His Spirit, transformed our hearts. But when He returns, He will transform our bodies, completing that transformation uh, mission that He came to accomplish He will transform our bodies, our lowly bodies, into His glorious body. So clearly, the reason that Paul looks forward to this is that on that day, he crosses the finish line. He finishes the race, and he wins the prize, which is Christ Himself. We know this from chapter 3 and verse 8, that it is Christ whom He seeks, it is Christ that He desires, it is Christ that He gives up everything in order to gain. And so Christ is the prize, and the prize looks like finally being with his Savior and Lord, physically in his presence, physically in the presence of Christ, the one who loved him and the one who gave himself for him. So it's on the basis of this glorious future, which is secured by this unstoppable power of Jesus, the very power that's at work where he is bringing everything in subjection to himself as he sits on the right hand of God on the throne. That very power is the very thing that secures our future. And so in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul will make one final appeal on on this basis, one final appeal to the Philippians to stand firm in unity together. This is a repeat of the appeal, the same appeal, in chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, chapter 1, verse 27 is what Moise Silva calls the great imperative of Philippians. It's the central concern of the letter. For there Paul exhorts the Philippians to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see the same language repeated. Only this time, Paul names names. He names names, calling two specific ladies to resolve their differences. They are in conflict. They are not of one mind, striving side by side at this particular point in time. He calls them to resolve their differences. Because theirs is obviously or apparently a conflict or a division that is a threat to the gospel unity of the body there. And then also to the gospel advance, the gospel mission, if you will, of the church. So this is what's behind the verses that we are going to read. We're just looking at verses 1 through 3 in Philippians chapter 4. So follow along in your Bibles as I read. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat. Euodia, and I entreat Centica, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come asking once more for your grace, asking once more for the work of your Spirit, Certainly we ask for the empowerment to understand what you're saying to us, open our ears that we would hear, but we also pray for the empowerment of your spirit and your grace to do the things you call us to do. We cannot stand firm apart from your work. We cannot stand firm apart from your empowerment, and so we pray for these things. Even as we read this passage, as we hear this passage preached upon, Lord, we pray that you will help us. Help us to do the things you call us to do. Help us to be the people you would have us be. Lord, we need your help. We are dependent upon it. So pour your grace and your help upon us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, I was not a very good brother. I was the oldest of three. And and, and I always thought I was a good brother, uh, but... But I realized that I I wasn't, because uh, uh, Sherry tells me that when she met my sister in college, and she's told some of you this story, uh, when she met my sister in college, that's how I ended up meeting Sherry. Um, my sister, this was freshman year, uh, they were sweet mates together, and my sister just was really upset at me. I have no idea why. Why would she be upset at me? But she was really upset at me, angry at, at me, angry about me, and that's all she did for the first month or two is, Tell Sherry how upset she was about me and and then she eventually told Sherry, oh by the way, you need to meet him and and marry him eventually which those th- those messages were a little mixed um but my sister was upset with me, but she had good reason to be upset with me because as I reflect upon being a brother to my siblings um i i I couldn't wait to kind of get away from these people now, I don't know if any of you have experienced that but um and, and I'm not just talking about my siblings had a younger sister and a younger brother, but also wanted to get away from my parents. I was ready to go out on my own because these people were holding me back. I'm not sure how, but they were. I just knew it to be true. And so I was not a good brother. I didn't spend any time with them. I ignored them and stayed away from them and insisted they stay away from me. Uh, but eventually, it, you know, it's kind of funny. God God laughs at a lot of our plans, right? Um Couldn't wait to get away from them, and yet uh, I ended up going to college you know, 15 miles away and lived at home for four more years, which was kind of funny. But it was during that time that the family kind of came back to Christ, and and so it was a good time to be with the, the family. And I was a better big brother, but that was when my sister went off to college and was upset at me, so I didn't become a good brother then either. Part of the reason was I was selfish. I was self-centered, self-focused, and I was obviously superior to everyone around me, particularly my siblings. That was my attitude and my mindset. And uh and so even even um even after we come back to Christ, I'm the one telling my sister how she should live and what she should be thinking and how she should be acting now that we're Christians and uh that just didn't go over very well. But I want you to note very clearly, how different Paul is. <laughs> how different Paul is than I was as a big brother. He actually has apostolic authority. I, I had no authority over my siblings. I don't know if the older children, of course, some of them are here. They're, they're at snow camp, and it'd be good for them to hear this. But uh, some of the older children, they, they have to kind of step in when mom and dad don't step in in the ways that they should. That's obvious to older children, uh, not so obvious to parents or siblings. Uh, But Paul actually did have apostolic authority. He could say to his sisters in Christ here, I insist upon you resolving your differences. I insist upon you agreeing together. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he prefaces what he says to them by these lovely terms of affection in chapter 4 and verse 1. And we see there just this emotional appeal. He's entreating them. He's appealing to them. He is showing and demonstrating to them respect, for he talks about uh, the fact that they labored side by side with him in the gospel. He praises them. He acknowledges that they too are his sisters in Christ, their names are in the book of life. And so he respectfully appeals to them. In fact, he's modeling the very thing he's going to be calling them to. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, remember what it says there do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others having this mind, the mind of Christ, in you. What did Christ do? Christ humbled himself and came as a servant. And this is exactly what Paul is demonstrating in the way he is appealing to these ladies, but then also in to the very thing to which he is calling them. He is setting the model and the example for them. In verse 3, he says to his uh, companion, his true companion, he asked his true companion, this is... An individual, likely, it is in the second person singular, so it's to you a specific person, it seems like, uh, but we don't know who that specific person is. He doesn't name the person. And so because he doesn't name the person, and there are other places where he appeals to a, a second person singular, but he's actually talking about a number of people, he may be appealing to the whole church. He may be appealing to others in the church who would be capable of helping these ladies to reconcile. And so he appeals to this particular person or to the church in general to come alongside these ladies and help them reconcile. So as we have indicated, these ladies, along with the whole church, they need to be united, right? So as to be able to stand firm in the face of the external pressures, we've talked about this when we were in 127, These external pressures are coming upon them. They have opponents, but then there's also the pressures inside. There's trials, there's difficulties, there are temptations. All of these things press against them, and in order to stand firm against these pressures, pressures, or in face of these pressures, they, they have to be united. They have to stand firm side by side. And so he's calling these specific women to this very thing that he's called the whole church to. Uh, in chapter 1. So we can state, I think, what Paul is saying here in verses 1 through 3 this way. We can say, because of God's grace that's at work in us, we must help one another to stay together so that we can stand firm. We must help one another to stay together so we can stand firm because of God's grace to us. This is what we must do. So we're going to work backwards. We're going to begin in verse 3 and talk there about helping one another. And then we'll move up to verse 2, stay together. And then we'll move up to verse 1, stay together in order to stand firm. So let's think together about helping one another. Verse 3. Paul asked his true companion to help these women to reconcile he says help these women to agree in the Lord help them now we do not know the specifics of their disagreement we do not know what the what the nature of their conflict is we don't know the roles that they have in the church we don't know whether they represent two serious factions that are divided we don't know whether they are as this church in Philippi was was primarily started by a group of ladies who were meeting together. You remember Lydia, and there were other women that would meet together, and Paul would go to them, and and that's kind of the roots and the grounds of this church starting. And so these may have been some of the founding ladies of the church. Who knows? And might have had they had influence. They were involved in uh, ministry and service uh, with Paul in the advance of the gospel, along with the others in the church there. So they were significant. Ladies in the church, but we just don't know anything about them. We don't know anything about the problem uh, that they are facing. The circumstance is really not as important as the fact that their conflict their conflict is not just a personal matter between them. It's an important thing to note, but rather the conflict not being personal matter is affecting the whole church and so much so that Paul actually names these women publicly and he appeals to others in the congregation to work to bring these ladies to peace and reconciliation. So I just want you to imagine. Imagine what it would be like if you just got a letter from Paul and the church is gathered together and the leader of the church is reading Paul's letter and he comes to this portion <laughs> and you is sitting over here and Syntyche is sitting over here. Can you imagine hearing your name and being called out publicly in this kind of context? that's, That's what happens here. Singled out. But note again Paul's approach here. He is showing his love and respect for these ladies. In verse 3, he points out how these ladies labored side by side with him and with each other. This idea of labored side by side, the very word, is the same word that is translated in chapter 1 in verse 27. Just look over there in one twenty-seven, where it says, striving side by side, it's the same word. Labored side by side, striving side by side, these ladies together with Paul contended together Struggle together like fellow soldiers in battle in the gospel. This word is a military word. It's talking about conflict. It's struggling against opponents of the gospel. And they were right there with Paul and obviously with one another. Striving, laboring side by side. Paul reminds them of their common work. Their common purpose, their common mission, which was centered in the good news of Jesus. And this good news of Jesus had so captured them that they contended willingly side by side so that the gospel would advance. The gospel had bound them together. Again, not only with Paul, but with the rest of all of those who worked. The fellow workers, the ones who worked with. Paul and with these ladies, they had experienced being together for the gospel of Christ and by their trust in Christ, Paul reminds them that their names, singled out as they are uh, publicly for the correction that he gives here, but their names are recorded in the book of life. The book of life is that which God records the names. It's, it's the, the book in which He records the names of those whom He chose before the foundation of the world to be His beloved family. The ones to whom, the ones whom He binds to Himself by the blood of Jesus. The ones to whom He sends the Spirit in order to change their hearts and apply Jesus' saving work to them. And the book of life the book of life. And I want you to note here the significance of names, the significance of individuals, which is why often in Paul's letters we see names listed. As much as we want to emphasize the the fellowship of the saints and the congregation and the community of the saints, and we are one and we are all together, let's not miss the fact that God cares about us as individuals. By name. When Jesus goes and dies on the cross, he takes your name. Not just generally, not just the general name, Mike. I mean, there's a lot of Mike's around. There's Mike's in this church, but there are Mike's everywhere. It's not, I'm dying for Mike. No, I'm dying for Mike Bowen, for Mike DeYoung. Specific names. Specific sins recorded in a book that says you are mine. You belong to me. It's an important thing to note. And he's reminding these ladies that their names matter, that their names are significant, that their names are recorded in the book of life. Paul reminding them and asking their brothers and sisters in the church to help them to remember who they are. They are God's children. They belong to Him. They are in His family. They have trusted in the saving work of Jesus, whose saving work has been applied to them by God's indwelling Spirit. They have all the gifts and the resources of God's salvation through Christ. And He's calling the people in the church with them, this one companion and these others, Uh, who had labored with them in the gospel. Clement is mentioned. We don't know who he is, but the rest of my fellow workers, uh, those whose names are in the book of life, remind these ladies who they are. Remind them what Christ has done for them and what Christ has done in them so that they will reconcile, so that the rift between them will be healed. It's so easy for us to divide. It doesn't take much for us to separate. Some of our divisions come as a result of personality differences. There are just some people who, are, uh, who bother you. Some people are too exuberant for you. Some people are too quiet for you. Some people are too straightforward for you. Some people don't seem friendly or open. Some are like sandpaper people, right? just kind of rub up against you. And you don't like it. They grate you. Sometimes divisions come as a result of personal offense, real or perceived. So-and-so said something to me. So-and-so did something to me that hurt me or offended me. And sometimes so-and-so doesn't even know they did what, what you experienced from them. And we just get offended at people and we begin to distance ourselves from them. They bother us. We've heard them criticize us. We've heard uh, them say things about us and it's gotten back to us, whatever it is. Uh, Sometimes divisions happen as a result of personal offense. Sometimes division is the result of being on opposing sides of an issue. A ministry strategy or the direction of the church or how money was or is spent or are things like COVID protocols. We don't have to go into that, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are examples of divisions as a result of being on opposing sides of issues. So easy to divide over these kinds of things. But verse 3 is a call and a reminder for all of us to be in tune to these types of conflicts and divisions and to not ignore them. And to not think that they're not any of our business. Because they are our business. When your brother and sister in Christ is in conflict with another brother and sister in Christ. Who is your brother and sister in Christ? It is your problem as much as it is their problem. And So we ought not just ignore it, overlook it. But we need to be peacemakers. We need to help with reconciliation. And part of that making peace includes reinforcing to the various parties that we have been united together by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we are bound by Christ, that we are in common need of His work, and that His unstoppable power to transform us is at work in us, and that our common need ought to humble us so that whatever divides us is recognized as being less than or of lesser value than the things that unite us in Christ. It is necessary for us to help those who for whatever reason are in conflict or divided so that they and we all together will stay together. will stay together. That's the second thing I want us to note. and Let's move to verse 2 to see this. Stay together is captured in Paul's uh, entreaty to these women to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Agree translates a word which means to be of the same mind, to think the same things, to have the same mindset. It doesn't mean to agree on every particular. It doesn't mean you need to come around to my way of thinking. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about to have a common mindset. To agree on common things. To think the same things. It's the same root of the word that we find in Philippians chapter 2, where it says being of the same mind, which is what we're called to, to be of the same mind. To be in full accord and of one mind. Paul goes on to explain this as to have the same love and to be in harmony with each other. It is the idea of having the same attitude, the same mindset. It is to cherish the essential core values that we have in common. It is what Paul goes on in chapter 2 and verse 5 to talk about the mindset of Christ. To have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's the, the mind of Christ is the mindset of humility and service. It's the mindset of considering others more important than oneself. It's this mindset, this same mindedness. This is the agreement that is the key to staying together. So We're not going to agree on everything. We're not all going to change our personalities to, to be conformable to one another. It's not going to happen. Sandpaper personalities are useful because, you know, when when sandpaper rubs up against something, what does it do? It kind of softens the thing you're rubbing up against, right? There are hard corners that we need rubbed off. Sometimes God provides the gift of sandpaper people (laughs) in order to do that to us. This mindset is the opposite of self-centeredness. It is the opposite of imagining that you or your notions or your ideas are superior because self-centeredness and superiority will destroy unity. That's Paul's point in the early parts of chapter 2. Note the overriding and prevailing source of their agreement. The overwhelming and prevailing source of their same-mindedness. We see it in verse 1 they are to, or verse one and verse 2. They are to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. And this phrase means so much more than agree about the Lord. It is emphasizing their being united to Christ. This is a reference to their being in union with Christ. By faith, they trust in Jesus. They have had their sins forgiven. They are recipients of God's grace and mercy. The Spirit of God is in them. Christ Jesus has not only saved them, but His unstoppable power is at work in them, transforming them into His likeness. They are bound together as adopted children in God's family. They're reconciled to God. And they have been reconciled, therefore, to one another. This is how we must think about each other. This is the mindset upon which they and we must arrive So that despite our disagreements, despite the offenses, despite the personality clashes, we stay together. So are you in conflict? Now or potentially? Has somebody rubbed you the wrong way? Do you have a a thing against somebody? Do you disagree with someone? Press into these relationships rather than avoid them. Talk to these people. Work on your mindset about them, focusing on what you have in common in Christ. Do this by God's grace, being dependent on His help. How are we dependent on His help? We ask Him to help us. Move toward those that we find difficult, that we have difficulty with. Dependence upon Him and His Spirit, which will and His Spirit will always lead us to die to ourselves, to die to our own sin, to grow in love for others, even for sandpaper people. To stay together because it is vital in order to be able to stand firm. Thus, we come to verse one. We must help one another stay together so that we can stand firm. So, verse one: stand firm. Thus, in the Lord. see the exact same uh, exhortation that we see in chapter 1 and verse 27. The idea of stand firm means to persist. It means to persevere. It means to continue. Paul captured this idea of standing firm until the end by giving us a picture of the race, right? He gave us a picture of running the race all the way to the finish line in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 12. And he uses the phrase press on. So stand firm means persistence in the face of opposition, in the face of difficult circumstances, and in the face of temptations. The temptations that would deter or derail us from the race. But this is not, don't, don't mistake this, this is strong will and self determination. This isn't just deciding to do it and having the discipline to. Uh, and exerting the discipline to do it, but it is based on and it's rooted in the work that has already begun in you by Christ and is promised to be brought to completion by Christ and His unstoppable power. We see in chapter 1 and verse 6 and we see it here in verse 21. Christ will complete His work and His power is at work within us and this is what He is calling us to and enabling us to do. And this is captured in the phrase, Noted there that they are to stand firm in the Lord, thus in the Lord. The thus in the Lord refers back to what Paul has already declared about the work of Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 9, the righteousness, because of the work of Christ, he has been given a righteousness from God. We receive a righteousness from God that makes us right with God. In chapter 3 and verse 10, He talks there about that unstoppable power of Jesus' resurrection that enables Him to share in Christ's sufferings and to share in Christ's death. Chapter 3 and verse 12, it's the very grace that made us His own. In chapter 3 and verse 14, it is that very thing that effectively called us to Himself. It's God's work in us that effectively called us to Himself. And in chapter 3 and verse 20, It is that very work that makes us citizens of heaven where our Savior is and from where He will come and complete our bodily transformation. So we stand firm thus in the Lord. But we do not stand alone. I want you to look at Paul's affectionate language here in chapter uh, 4 and verse 1. My brothers... He reminds us that we are family, made so by God's grace and work, adopting us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God. Uh, He talks here, he says, whom I love, but actually the word is beloved. It's the same word that ends the sentence, my beloved. It's the same word, and it bookends everything that he says here. Um, Whom I love, they are beloved God puts in our hearts affection for one another. It cannot be explained other than by the supernatural work of God. There are some of you that it just takes God's power to love, right? It's true. I'm one of those. That's supernatural. That, That is not in you. That is something that God gives to us, is this love and affection for each other that we wouldn't naturally have. He says, they are those whom I long for. There's a desire to be with them so as to stand side by side with them. Paul's running the race, but he doesn't run the race as one who's way out ahead, trying to finish with all that he's got. But he's one who seeks to finish the race with all of his brothers and sisters in Christ. You can see him. if He's getting near to the finish line. He's looking back to see where you're at. And he might even come running back to encourage you and to help you press on as well. It's it's that kind of commonality and that kind of love for one another and to be side by side that drives Paul and it ought to drive us. And it will because God gives us that within us. Supernatural. He describes them as both his source of joy, my joy and my crown, which means the source of his pride the crown is not the crown of a king but it's the crown of a uh, of a victor in the race it's one it's the the wreath that is put together that's placed upon the olympian champion it's the thing that he wears to show his accomplishments or his pride but he's saying that these people are his pride they are the source of his pride the people of god his family paul's affection for his brothers and sisters demonstrates and models not only the affection that God is working in us for one another, but also the reality that we do not run alone. We do not and cannot press on or stand firm by ourselves. We will only stand firm, together, side by side, united with the same mindset, helping each other stay together, And when disaffection and disunity come between us, the only thing that will keep us together is this mindset and staying together. In fact, we are a gift of God's grace to one another. And When I was in uh, Texas, in North Texas Presbytery, I was part of, we called it the Ministerial Relations Committee, so it's the committee at Presbytery that deals with church conflicts. When when churches have difficulties, presbytery can come come in and help, and um, and so I, I I got to see a lot of church conflicts. Um, some were some were ugly. Um, it's the people of God struggle; <laughs> they struggle to be together at times. There was one particular church. There was a <clears throat> there was a particular circumstance that came to the to the surface, and it created conflict. And they couldn't get past that conflict. But one of the things that we realized as we got involved and in, as we started asking questions and dealing with things is that that, that presenting problem was not the only problem. What well, we realized, it was just the tip of an iceberg that was kind of underwater and we didn't, they didn't see. They didn't realize. But there had been years of personality conflicts, of being, being on opposite sides of issues, of slights and affronts toward one another that involved several people, not just two people, but, but these things came to the surface because this one particular presenting problem exposed all these other problems. You know what their problem was? They didn't deal with the stuff as it came up, right? And little twins that you have within you that begins to look at your brother or sister in Christ and is critical of them or suspicious of them or doesn't like them, and you kind of can be critical in your own heart or maybe to someone else about them, that little thing right there is the beginning of something that needs to be addressed, of something that needs to be brought to the fore. And, And you don't bring it to the fore by going and talking to someone else about You bring it to the fore by moving toward the person that you're struggling with. If you don't do that, then things will build up. You'll separate. You'll find that person on the other side of issues that you disagree with them about. You begin to find more things that offend you or are in front to you. Their personality will just continue to rub you in ways that are unhealthy. It's just not good. If you see that happening between a brother or sister in Christ, then you ought to say something. You ought to come alongside. This is what Paul is calling us to here. It's hard work. Stuff I would just as soon avoid. There are people I need to go to because I'm bothered by them. And boy, I will hesitate. I will keep keep from doing it, I will let it go, but then they pop up again, and then they pop up again, and then they pop up again. That's not right. That's not the mindset, because a mindset's beginning to develop, and that's not the mindset that reminds me that this is my brother or my sister in Christ, and we have so much more in common, and we are actually family And this is is someone that I ought to have affection for. And I have many things to be united with. This is very practical stuff here that we only can do by the power that God gives us. But He gives us that power. He gives us His strength, He gives us His grace. We come and worship and we pray, we come to the table. And God gives us what we need in order to do those hard things. To love in those ways that we avoid and don't want to do. So, empowered by that common special grace that we share from the work and the power and the Spirit of Christ, for all we who trust in Christ are united to Him and Therefore, we're united to one another. And you know, all of that, all of that unity and the things that we have in common are brilliantly displayed for us at this table. It's a picture of our common need for Christ and all that he gives to us in his death. So none of us, you know, none of us uh, are, are put away from this table. This table is open for all who trust in Christ. And this is where our common ground is. This is where the cross is demonstrated to us. Our common need and our common supply. Of Christ and His work. It's pictured here. When we're doing this together, we're not just doing it individually. Uh, we got to get away from this individualistic thing of It's me and the Lord. It's me and the Lord. And I'm having my little special time with the Lord. It's not your special time. It's God coming to you and saying, all of you are mine. And I love you, each one. And I want you to love each other. I want you to be together in this. Because you're my children. You're my family. And when I'm doing this, I'm doing it with you. I'm not doing it by myself my little individualistic piety it is together that we do this beautifully displayed here let's pray our father we come asking for your grace to us that we would that we would live out of this common unity this same mindedness that Christ Jesus has given to us it's his very mindedness it's his very attitude of humility and service and considering others more significant and taking interest in the interest of others and not just in our own interest and lord teach us to do this we struggle to do this it is again supernatural to do this and we need the work of your spirit your spirit that dwells within us we need your grace that you feed us with and nourish us with and enable us with, Lord, we need all of those resources, the very power of Christ that is at work in us to transform us, Lord, we need these things, and so we come and ask for those things, and pray that you would help us to demonstrate to one another and to this watching world the love and the unity that we have, because we are your children, and we and we love and value you more than we love and value whatever it is that keeps us separated. Lord, your grace to us. Now we pray and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.